the best time to grow root crops is through our uh, winter and spring perhaps starting them into autumn but sometimes it's still too hot um, and you can try growing carrots all year round uh, but still in the middle of summer they, they still do suffer quite a bit. Welcome to the podcast everybody. Today we're joined by Mark Valencia all the way from Australia. We had a brilliant chat about his website which is Self Sufficient Me and he spends all of his time teaching people how to become self-sufficient and really inspiring them to do more gardening. It was a fantastic interview, um, really, really enjoyed it and learned a lot about what he does and I think it's really going to help a lot of people. So it's definitely worth popping over to his website and taking a look um, and enjoy the interview. So without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. G'day, Alan. How are you going? Yeah, really good, thank you. And people can probably tell from, from the accent and the greeting, you're, you're not from the UK. No, fair dinkum die Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> Here in, uh, well, just north of Brisbane. I, I often say we're in Brisbane, but we're just north, about 45 k's uh, in a little town called Belmere. Hmm. Okay. And for people that don't know Australia very well, what roughly east-west, where's, where's Brisbane? Oh, it's on the east coast of Australia in Queensland. Okay, and how high up is that? Because I know you get some very, very hot regions of Australia and some slightly cooler ones. Yeah, we, we, we're in the subtropical region. So you know where Sydney is. Mm-hmm. It's about nine hours north of Sydney up the coast, up the mm-hmm. east coast. And uh, even though Sydney is still classed as subtropical, it's still a lot cooler subtropical and getting into more temperate than us. But we're mm. really subtropical. Uh, and then further north of, from us, say about another 500 k's, you're starting to get into the tropical zone. Right. Okay. Excellent. I'm sure we're, we talk about some of the stuff that we're, I'm going to be very jealous. We can't grow that you can uh, a bit later. Um, <laughs> but how did you get into, into gardening? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I've always been interested in growing our own. I mean, my grandfather... I grew a lot of his own vegetables and I was his little wingman many times in the garden. So I, I, I fondly remember those years. And he, he veggie patched garden until he was 91 and uh, basically right up until he passed away. So he would still be growing his strawberries in his 90s and I'd be helping him pick them even though now, you know, I was much an adult then coming back from the army. I'd be in the, in the backyard with him. So I had a whole lifetime growing up uh, on that side. My mother was a farmer. Well, you know, she came from a farming background and a lot of my relatives are in, in, into farming. So I did have that background, but uh, uh, I, I just, um, I, I sort of went away from it for quite a while because I concentrated on my military career for a good 21 years. And it wasn't until the end of my military career when I decided that um, I wanted to go back into more self-sufficiency, go back into growing more of our own and set ourselves up and our young family up at the time uh, into a more self-sufficient, healthier lifestyle than the one we were leading, which was my wife and I in the military traveling around a lot, uh, often 
yes, we were fit, but often unhealthy because we were always on the go and not settled down. So the aim was to settle down and uh, have the have the kids a good base, and that meant leaving the military for me. And when we did that, of course, we dropped uh, a considerable pay packet. My wife, she ended up staying on uh, in the military for a little while, and then she changed over into Civvy Street and got herself a, a civilian job. But um, I effectively became a home dad, and to be able to earn my way, um, I decided that one of the biggest bills in your home is is your food, especially if you've got two young boys because they can eat a heck of a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought, well, the best way I can earn my keep you know, while I'm at home looking after them is to grow a whole heap of veggies in the backyard and uh, see how we go, see if we can save some money. And, and that, that worked. Hmm. And did you, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's quite a change. That's a hell of a change, I imagine. And I imagine there's not much... Uh, growing or anything like that um, in the army, but did did the army give you any insight into how how things could work? Well, yeah, I mean, in the, in the military, especially the army, you're you're a jack of all trades, um, and you like I, I've did survival courses. One of the most harshest survival courses in Australia was the Les Hiddens one. I don't know if you're familiar with Les Hiddens, but no. in, in Australia, he's a quite a famous survivalist. And uh, at that time in the in the 90s, um, he was very big in Australia. He had his own TV series and he was a major in the army. And uh, yeah, I did his particular survival course, which is very tough, a three-week survival course, but that was just one aspect of what I did. We, you know, in the military, I, I spent a good 11 months in the Sahara Desert as well uh, wow. on operations and we were eating the local food, Often we were cooking our own food in the middle of the Sahara. And so you, you just developed a whole lot of skills. And I, I really became, I really enjoyed that side of the, my military career was that uh, going into the wild, going into remote locations and often uh, just surviving and, uh, and, and utilising what we had around us. And uh, I have a big regard for the local Aboriginal people here in Australia. I've worked with them a lot, um, especially my military career, and uh, I've and I've also eaten um, with them. And uh, I have a big admiration for how they live off the land. And I, I felt like when I left the military, I was fairly capable of employing some of those skills uh, on my property. Mm. And I imagine, actually, because modern life, certainly in the UK, and I've, I've got family in Australia as well, so they're in Melbourne and certainly very similar to, to us, the way they live. Everything is handed to you on a plate. I mean, if it's not on a plate, it's, what, two minutes down the road. Yeah. Um, I imagine that type of training and, and living with uh, Aborigines and all that sort of stuff maybe allows you to, to learn that you don't have to have everything instantly. No, no, yeah, and it's not, yeah, it's not just that, but that's a big part. But it's also the joy of of creating something or finding something or foraging for something yourself, particularly growing something. It's that process, and then preparing it and eating it is what I find so rewarding. Hmm. Excellent. And so you you left the military, um, and you were going to earn your keep by. Uh, doing the gardening and being more self-sufficient and things like that. Has that turned into something more now? Yeah, it wasn't planned that way. Uh, I was just um, 
on my merry way of doing the best I could for my family. I mean, I have to say, when we made the decision to for me to drop out of the workforce and become a home dad, um, that was, we, we were at the front gate of our yard one morning at about 6 a.m. and we we're gonna drop the kids off at childcare and then both go to work, which is about an hour away, uh, back into the Brisbane city at, uh, at the Inogra Army Barracks. And uh, I looked at my wife and I said, we just can't keep doing this. I mean, the kids are bleary eyed. We drop them off at dark. We come back at dark. This is no way to live. And uh, I said, one of us should drop out and just have one foot on the ground and be at home. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, well, it's not going to be me. <laughs> and I went, I sort of half expected her to go, yeah, you know, I might do that. But then it just dawned on me. I thought, well, I said, okay, I'll give it a go. And uh, so I did that. And, and yeah, coming back to to your point was um, from there uh, that it was still tough. Don't get me wrong. It was tough. I mean, we, we were suffering on the one wage um, and not a lot of extra money coming in. and uh, But we were surviving and we, we did have a better quality of life. We had someone at home looking after all the home duties. And I, I think a lot of your listeners um, and people in general could could get it. If you're, if you're a young family, both working, life is really tough and busy. And, and that's, those spare minutes are really crucial, especially if you're working full time, you come home and you've got a spouse at home that is actually holding up the fort. It actually enables that person in the workforce to forget about the home front for a bit and concentrate on their job. And the person at home can then, yeah, look after everything and, I, it really worked well for us. But yes, that pay drop made it financially uh, difficult. Um, even though we were happier, we had to be more frugal. And when I started having a success in that, um, my extended family and a lot of friends thought it was crazy. Um, but we got through it and we started having quite good success out of it. And then people would start saying, well, how did you grow that? How did you make this? How did you preserve that? And I'd be telling people at dinner parties or barbecues. And then Nina, one day, my wife Nina, she says, Mark, can you just like create a website or something and put this information on there? Because I'm getting sick of hearing the same story over and over of, <laughs> uh, and the same way to make something. Look, if you had it on a website, you could just point people to that website and say, well, here's the recipe there. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. So I started Self-Sufficient Me um, uh, from that. And I just, I, I created the website myself and, and worked on it as a bit of a hobby thing. And uh, people started to enjoy what I was writing, started to enjoy some of the recipes that I put on there. And uh, from there, I started the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, it went really well. Excellent. And um, doing something like that, um, when you when you were doing it with young children, do you think actually that forced you to push things forward a little bit? Because anyone that's got children, and I've I've got two young children as well. Anyone that's got children, you you resist trying to give them everything, but you still want to give them everything. Um, did you find it harder um, like that when you you dropped a wage and stuff? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I, I still I still think one of the precious things you can give children is time with 
with you know the parents is, mm. is give them time and Definitely. i i was i was able to do that um my wife now does sometimes occasionally being uh, you know a lady a woman and a mother sometimes looks back a little bit with regrets thinking maybe i should have stayed home but um it's short-lived really because she's still uh, is able and was able to get more time with the children because, like I said, I'd hold the home fort up. She'd get home to dinner made. She didn't have to make dinner. She didn't have to worry about the domesticated stuff. Yes, she still did quite a lot um, because, you know, um, I'm, especially a male at home is is not <laughs> is is mere male and not perfect. But um, regardless, she was still able to spend more time with the kids. Then we both were, if, if you can sort of get what I mean, Alan, you know, mm. um, okay, we, were, we were both stretched and we were sort of getting to a point where we were arguing and who's going to do what duty and who's going to do what chore, who's going to cook. Um, and we were both stressed for time and the kids weren't getting either of us. But then with one at home, they, they I spent more time with them. I'd have my young boys in the backyard um, watching me garden and that was a big plus and I've got a close relationship with my children I think a better one because of that of those times they're, they're, one's now 16 and the other one's 13 but because of those times from say 2008 onwards where I've spent all that quality time in the backyard with them them helping me do the chores and I think Nina um, is the same she had more time with them even though she worked full time hmm. excellent Brilliant. And why do you think self-sufficient me has become so popular? What, what are mainly people looking at? Well, I think that um, people are looking to become more self-sufficient. I think they are sick of being fed the same dribble from the establishment. Uh, I think that they don't want to... Uh, yes, we all appreciate a supermarket here and there or a, a farmer's market. I would encourage people to go more farmer's market, more local buying if they can, than, than big corporate supermarkets. I've always said that, but I'm not anti-supermarket at all. But I think um, you lack the variety, you lack the freshness that um, from those chains that you can get from yourself. And I think it's uh, you can get more variety. You can get a, a healthier product, a fresher product if you grow it yourself. But then you can also grow what what you want, how you want. And and I think the benefits of getting out and growing, and like I said before, um, the, the feeling of satisfaction of growing and then eat, uh, preparing, cooking and eating um, is, is, is very important when it comes to eating healthy and and just being healthy overall mm. yeah definitely and you uh you mix in a little bit of fitness um as well i do but i think gardening gives you a lot of fitness anyway um though you know most gardeners out there for a few hours a day you'd be surprised um, i'm sure you know it but um, yeah. People, when they first start gardening, they get su they're surprised at how the glutes and the legs and the and the back and the arms really start to work after a few hours a day, and you naturally get fit. Um, and and I just think it's one of the biggest, best hobbies you could ever do. You, you're not only growing healthy food and then feeling like you want to eat that healthy food because you've grown it, but you're also out there exercising 
and you're not even knowing that you're doing it until at the end of the day when you're buggered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So take me through uh, a little bit about uh, of your plot. Tell me a little bit what you've got there. Well, we've got three acres, which isn't... Um, it sounds like it's quite large, uh, but it's it's not really in the whole scheme of things because a good acre of it is treed. And then you've got another acre is probably taken up by, um, you know, the house, the establishment, the shed um, and all that. So <clears throat> there's really about an acre and a bit of, of plain area that gets quite a bit of sun. And I've put as many fruit trees as I can. I think we've got about 140 fruit trees on our small property uh, and we've got a vegetable garden in the middle which is about 16 meters across and about 40 lengthways um, which really isn't that big um, when you look at the property overall uh, but you don't need a really big vegetable garden to grow a lot of produce and we've got raised beds uh, because we have clay soil and uh, I did try to garden in ground to start off with and it was quite difficult. And as I'm getting older and I've got some old army injuries, I I nearly lost my arm in a in a freak parachuting accident when I was in okay. the army. Uh, and I, so I've got some 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 fairly significant injuries and uh, like I said, not getting any younger. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, uh, those raised bed gardens helped me out quite a bit. Mm. Yeah, definitely, and I think they're a great place for people to start. Um, but you're you're growing mainly fruit and veg. Um, is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. We we've got a really uh, well. You know, but there's pluses and minuses to every climate. Um, we've got a warm climate, subtropical, but because it's probably about twenty or twenty five k's inland from the sea, it's um, it can get quite cool through winter. Um, and I mean, when I say cool, you're looking at it, say, an average of about 21 degrees Celsius uh, through right. the day, um, which is a lot of people's summers, you know, hmm. uh, you know in, in, say, parts of Europe and sometimes even in the UK, especially I was in Scotland a few years back and we were in the <laughs> middle of summer and we were freezing. It was yeah. about, yeah, 21 degrees or something. I had to give Nina my jacket. But, uh, <laughs> but here... Uh, we're lucky enough to be able to have or grow food all year round, but you just can't grow the same food because, like for example, at the moment, we're right in the peak of our tomato season because we're growing them through winter and they're, they're now ripening and we've got plenty of produce. But in another couple of months, in the middle of summer, it'll be way too hot for tomatoes, too hot to grow lettuce or salad crops. So you've got to switch. Yes, we'll be able to, we'll be picking mangoes, we'll be picking tropical fruits, but we'll have to switch to, say, Egyptian spinach or um, Kang Kong uh, and some of those uh, amaranth and some of those those crops that can deal with our harsh summers, which can get up to 40 plus degrees Celsius and dry as hell. Hmm. Excellent. And do you struggle to grow root crops there? Well, the best time to grow root crops is through our uh, winter and spring perhaps starting them into autumn but sometimes it's still too hot um, and you can try growing carrots all year round uh, but still in the middle of summer they they still do suffer quite a bit 
but no, we grow root, root crops quite well. But the only thing that is really difficult is garlic. Right. Um, elephant garlic is okay, but uh, standard garlic is really quite tricky. And uh, you have to have a bit of luck and have to have a good good winter season that's um, not too cool, but fairly warm, but not too humid. And you can get a good crop of garlic. But this season, um, my small garlic was was terrible. Um, it, it got wiped out by rust. And uh, although we're going to get a, a, a mediocre harvest, it's by no means, you know, anything great. Mm. But the elephant garlic, it's growing well. But of course, it's not as pungent or as good as the standard garlic. Mm. But that's about the only root crop that I would say would be overly difficult. Everything else we can grow. Yeah, excellent. I was just wondered whether the the temperature would would mean it, it's quite hard to do. But obviously, it's not not much of an issue. I can understand the garlic, and actually, even in the UK, and we've got I don't know whether they're, they're I'm fairly certain they're not world famous, but not a million miles away from us is the um, the garlic farm, um, mm. and they just grow garlic, um, and that's on the Isle of Wight. So they're about uh, let's say a hundred miles south of us. Um, but anyone that grows garlic in in the UK struggle as well. So I don't know whether it's a garlic thing or a or a temperature thing. Yeah, it is a bit of a tricky crop, and it takes and it's a, a long crop too, a long grower. And uh, I suppose that can, if you're in an environment that the weather conditions aren't great for garlic, being that long growing period, you're, you're it's susceptible to having those one or two bad months, and then your crop's ruined. For whatever reason, but uh, well, but if you want to think about in general, though, think about the winter here in in our subtropical climate coincides pretty much exactly with your spring summer. Mm. Okay, interesting. Mm. And we can grow just about anything you can grow in your spring summer. We can grow through our winter. Yeah, I don't think I'd have a lot of luck with mangoes though. <laughs> no, no, maybe not. Maybe um, what about a conservatory or a hot house? Yeah, we could probably do it in a hot house. I mean, I'm where I'm sitting now. I'm overlooking. Uh, uh, so we're a greenhouse nursery, growing um, herbs and chilies and things like that. And uh, you need, specifically for the chilies, you need greenhouses to grow them in on any scale in the UK. Um, but you, you specialise in chilies, though, Alan, don't you? We do. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, um, that is that is very interesting. Hmm. And that's something potentially. Over certain months, I could have a go at mangoes. That that would be really interesting to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see you're into your interesting experiments. It was what, one of your YouTube videos watching um, uh, that you're crossbreeding chilies and yes. you've got those nets over them. And I was thinking, I wouldn't mind giving that a go, you know, isolating them. And you're using um, flies to cross-pollinate. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah, and that idea came from um, a... Uh, a guy we've dealt with for a very very long time and he um he'd helped us bring in some some various different plants uh from various different new types of herbs and he was telling me that's often how they do mints so mint all these new mint varieties i don't know whether they've made it to australia but in the uk we now got around about 30 different types of mints with various different flavors um, and that's how they and most of those were bred was using flies and we thought actually that'd be interesting i wonder if we can do that with chilies there yeah, that's incredible mm. i would never have thought of it i was thinking bees 
maybe like a wasp or something or butterflies or mm. even a native bee here, but I'd never thought of flies. No, and actually in reality, we don't actually know where it works yet. <laughs> oh, okay, so yeah, it's still going. Yeah. Hey? I was going to ask you how that's going. Yeah, it's still going. We've got lots of fruit. Um, so they're being, um, they are certainly being pollinated, um, but chilies are what's known as a perfect flower. So all the male and female parts are all in one flower. So that could be just from that. But the amount of fruit we've got on there, um, and we would be doing a video this week as, as it happens, but unfortunately Olivia's not very well. So we'll wait until she's, she's better and we'll do a next video on how it, but the amount of fruit we've got, I suspect some of them have been pollinated by flies. Um, so time will tell on that one. And, and just as a, um, for my interest sake, uh, how do you know if it's cross-pollination worked? Is, does it come out in the fruit or do you have to sow that seed that for the next season to find out? You have to sow the seed and the reality behind it is, well, sometimes you get very big differences. So we've cross-pollinated for years by hand. Um, and we've done that for for a long time and sometimes you get a huge difference in the next generation. Sometimes the difference is very, very small and it's spotting the small differences that can be the tricky, tricky part. We're very lucky as well. We've got a lot of space. So if you're doing it on any scale and you, you want to create or, or find a new variety relatively quickly, you've just got to do a lot of quantity. Um, uh, it's almost as simple as that. There are, and by no means are we experts at, at cross-pollinated, but there are a few few things you can do to speed up the process. Um, but the reality is you're going to have to cross-pollinate a lot of flowers and you're going to have to sow even more seeds. Um, so I suspect from that little experiment we did on YouTube, roughly think, speaking, we think we're going to probably have to sow around about five to 6,000 um, plants. Oh, wow. Um, just from that. And then, then we will select them. Sometimes you can see it in the plant as well, actually. That is a heck of a lot of work. It is a lot of work, yeah. But then probably worth it if you can breed a really good cracker of a chili. Exactly. And and for me as well, is it's, it's quite interesting. And I'd say this for any industry, but specifically i found in horticulture, when you do these sort of things, normally you end up learning something you never thought you'd learn. Um, something that actually you think is almost useless until a year later you think, oh, wait a minute, I did that and that happened. Um, and that's gardening all over, definitely. And I'm sure you found that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've, we've cross-pollinated things by accident. and you know, We've had some real weird things come up in the garden like, um, across, you know, we, one year we grew um, large uh, stuffing tomatoes and it, it must have cross-pollinated with a uh, cherry tomato. And this I had this self-seeder come up in the garden and the, the fruit, I thought it was just a cherry tomato, but the fruit was a medium-sized tomato, uh, like it looked like a cherry, but a little bit bigger, like a, like a, like a, um, a tomato. And... But it was hollow in the middle, in the middle, like a capsicum, and uh, like a like well, the Americans would say uh, sweet pepper, and so it was hollow in the middle. So I, I put two and two together. Those plants must have cross pollinated, you know. It was a really, and I've got the seeds. I've saved the seeds and I've grown them since. I haven't had well, I've had sort of mixed success with that, but I'm no professional like you. But 
even those types of things in the garden um, are, are quite exciting when you find them and, and different. They are definitely, and people listening would probably be surprised uh, that so in ornamental breeding uh, of plants, generally speaking, that will be done on purpose, um, but not always. Um, but certainly, there is a huge amount of breeding where a new variety is found that is completely by accident, even on commercial nurseries. Um, we um, we exhibited at Chelsea this year a brand new thyme called Thyme uh, Sparkling Bright. Uh, so it's a variegated thyme. It's got white leaves with a green tinge to it, but it's very, very bright. So it's it's much brighter uh, than any of the variegated versions up to now. And it was found found on a nursery in uh, Spalding, which is sort of in the middle of the UK, um, by accident, just appeared. Incredible. Um, and that's quite common. Um, there is a lot of breeding that's done on purpose as well, but that is quite common. How great is that? I bet that's bloody pretty. It is. Yeah, it's a really, really nice variety. And we um, we exhibited it at Chelsea and then we sold out probably about two weeks after. And now we're uh, probably every other day we're still trying to build up the stock of it because um, it's not a quick grower, uh, which is the only downside to it. Um, but yeah, it's, um, we've got people on the nursery taking cuttings of that on a, almost on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, I've got a variegated kumquat and I planted the variegated and the, the normal one pretty much side by side and the variegated is is growing well but quite slower. I, I remember my mother, she was always into ornamentals and she used to say um, variegated leaf plants tend to be a bit slower than, than, the, than other normal plants for some reason. I don't know why. It's the amount of green in there. Is as simple as that, is it? Yeah, so it's often the case with, with dark-leafed varieties as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so the photosynthesis isn't quite as effective. Um, there's probably a better explanation than that, but effectively, yeah, that's that's right. No, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So what you're doing on your, your website, your blog, your YouTube channel, a lot of it is about encouraging people to be self-sufficient. Um, if I came to you and said, look, I've got this little plot of ground, but I don't know where to start. What what tips would you have for them? Um, I would first of all say um, how, how much sun does it get? And hopefully they'd come back and say, well, it's probably the sunniest part of our yard. It's not getting shaded out. It gets a good eight to ten hours a day. Uh, even more is better. Uh, and if it's, if it's in that spot, I would say, well, um, all you need to do is start off with one raised bed or if you don't want to, fork out any extra cash you could just and if your soil's okay even if it's not okay to be quite honest dig a few furrows and uh in a little square maybe just make it a meter or two and try your hand at growing a few easy crops start with some salad crops at the right time of year of course Uh, maybe uh, some beans and put a little mini teepee up a little trellis and have a go at it and then empire build from there once you've you because you'll quickly get that bug if that bug is within you and uh you start nice and easy that slow success will uh burn inside and you'll eventually empire build like most of us gardeners do and end up uh as big as you can in whatever area you've got and you don't need to have 
a large growing space to grow a lot of food. That's a big misconception. Plenty of people are growing lots of food on balconies as long as they're getting that sun. Uh, balconies and small courtyards and uh, small allotments and all those types of places. You don't have to have acreage to feed yourself. And if you grow, like you were just talking about chilies, if you're growing crops that are full of flavour, you know, um, a few chilies in, in some rice is all that a uni student really needs. Um, you know, you could make that for a couple of bucks and use your flavouring from the chilies basically for free. So, um, uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to start small, give it a crack, and then empire build from there. Mm, definitely. And uh, a theme that runs through the podcast, actually, is that often uh, the advice is to start small, but it's so tempting for people to, to want to do too much. Yeah, and, and, and that can be a bit of a trap because if you overextend yourself and you, you start feeling like it's all too much and it's, a, it's too much of a hassle and it's a lot of hard work, uh, it can actually turn you off gardening prematurely, uh, food gardening in particular, and, and that would be a real shame um, because then you just close things down and you say, this is all too hard. Whereas if you um, start small and master, say, a, a square foot garden, um, and maybe a large, maybe a small raised garden bed, a round raised garden bed, something that's a metre wide or so or three feet. Um, once you start mastering that and you start growing and understanding the plants and getting the seasons right and the right timings and the right medium, the right amount of water, then when you do start to expand, you can do that rather easily. Like we have, like I said, it's, it's quite a large vegetable garden, but I don't spend all my time in it. I mean, I, I have a another job to do now which is um, writing about this stuff doing videos so I can't spend all my time in the garden and I don't um, never have done uh, but I did expand slowly and I didn't go crazy and I'm still working on and expanding and uh, compensating and and changing things now hmm. and how much um, how much have you have enjoyed doing the blogs and and helping people get into gardening because as i look over your your website and look for everything you've done you appear to have a real uh real amount of enthusiasm for for actually getting people into the garden it's highly rewarding alan very rewarding um a couple of days ago this isn't the most uh nicest story you could say it's nice in a way but um, I, I, I really want to. I really want to let you know about it. Uh, I had a a person who um, who knows they might not be around right now, but Chris wrote on underneath one of my videos that he only had a few days left. He was he had terminal cancer, and before he went, he wanted to just let me know he'd never commented on a video before. He wanted to let me know that um, I, he got inspiration and he found my gardening videos very helpful to him spiritually and uh, he wanted to thank me for that and that type of thing is just one little example of um, the amount of uh, joy I get uh, and feedback I, I get. I mean I'd have to say uh, I, I love producing videos and writing uh, as much as I do being out in the garden. So I have two passions. That content creation is one passion 
and the gardening is the other. And I guess the gardening was first. And so it, it gave me this opportunity to become a content creator uh, on YouTube and on the internet. But I still, I love them both just as much. Hmm. And I think actually YouTube, blogs, um, Facebook, Instagram, all of those potentially do give a slight move towards people being able to get into gardening who maybe thought they couldn't. Um, certainly in the UK, it can be quite a hard industry to get into. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, I was talking um, at the powerhouse in Brisbane a few months ago, the powerhouse is um, is like a, a small entertainment centre, an artistic centre, um, and I was invited there to have a bit of a chat to a group of people um, who were interested in getting into the online world of um, whatever, it, whatever it could be. It might not be gardening, but um, the internet, uh, YouTube, uh, but the internet in general has opened up so many new opportunities and avenues for people to either work from home or get into a different industry where they would never have a chance uh, 20, 30 years ago. They can change careers, they can convey information, they can educate people, they can reach people uh, so much easier and also make a living out of it. And I think that is fantastic and we're only in the infancy of it at the moment. Uh, there's plenty more we can expand on it yet. Yeah, definitely. And I think people shouldn't be afraid of it. Um, and they shouldn't. Uh, people are very self-conscious about it. I was talking to um, some people I work with um, I only around about an hour or so ago. Um, uh, and they would never get in front of the camera and certainly wouldn't get involved all that much. But we was talking about the fact that actually their point of view will be the same as someone else's. And maybe the way I say something won't be the best way to to actually put it across to someone else maybe the way they say it will will engage someone a bit better um so i think people shouldn't be concerned about that there's so many people out there and if you genuinely like something and you genuinely want to do it people will pick up on that definitely oh yeah and they'll forgive you too they'll forgive you for i make so many errors and i have my um uh, subscribers and and people that watch my videos they, uh, they show me the errors of my ways all the time or they tell me different ways to do things. The 99.9% .9 of people online are just like normal people you meet every day. Uh, they're good, um, warm uh, people that want other people to succeed. Um, and so, yeah, overwhelmingly, um, I take the slight criticism or even harsh criticism I don't take it to heart. I just learn from it. And sure, if it's unreasonable, I might sometimes, um, uh, you know, challenge that. Um, but often I'll ignore unreasonable criticism or bad stuff online or whatever. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, oh, look, I get about 7,000 or more messages and comments a month then I try to get to them all. It's impossible to though, but I definitely try reading them all. Um, and uh, you, the vast majority of them are all legitimate. They mightn't be all blowing wind up my backside, but they're all legitimate, be it criticism or be it um, thinking that, that I've helped them in some way or, or being nice comments. And I think that you shouldn't be worried about that. If you're interested in, in creating a business online or in getting to content creation or 
airing your knowledge or your even your opinion or whatever online shouldn't be worried about any blowback uh you know that that is something that is the least of my problems definitely without a doubt you're much much better off worrying about whether you watered something or not <laughs> yeah yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, bloody oath. Especially after being away for five weeks like we were and come back to the garden nearly dead. You know, I, I was glad mum watered our tomatoes while we were away uh, because I really wanted them to survive because I've got a ton of tomatoes video coming up and I I wanted, dearly wanted them to, to go well and they have done, thankfully. Excellent. So with the amount of space you've got, because you're absolutely right, you can grow quite a lot of um, edibles in a small space. Do you actually find you get surplus? Oh, oh, plenty of surplus. And I deliberately grow surplus for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, the more I grow, the, the, the more we can get um, and share with the local wildlife. We have bats, possums, plenty of different birds, uh, and other animals that eat our produce. Uh, and so I find if I grow quite a lot of it, we'll always have some to, uh, to harvest. And if we, if we find out that we have a surplus, well, then I can give that away to family and friends. We don't sell our produce, um, give it away um, or preserve it um, for when times are lean. Like, you know, you have a bad season in something, at least you've got it preserved in or canned in bottles or something like that. Um, and that's the way we roll. And anything like above that, that maybe is too much, we can always feed to our chickens um, and recycle it that way. And even composting it isn't really a waste in my mind. Mm. Yeah, cool. And a few questions that we, we always ask people, um, starting off with the first one, I think you've almost answered it at the beginning, but when it comes to inspiration specifically from a, well, maybe not specifically from a gardening point of view, but to get you to the, the place you are with um, Self-Sufficient Me, um, was there any particular person uh, or a book or something that really inspired you? Um, well, my grandfather, he inspired me greatly. Um, he was, I mean, I never had a, well, my father left when I was born. He got cold feet and left my mother um, in the opal fields of Lightning Ridge, uh, central New South Wales. And so I never met my real father until I actually got married at 30. Uh, and then he popped into my life briefly. That was by chance because my uncle happened to run into him by accident uh, in Lightning Ridge. And he uh, come across me and said, realize your son is now getting married and... Uh, so we hooked up and had a bit of a meeting and, um, it, you know, he, he ended up running out of my life again, long story short, which isn't a big thing because my point is my grandfather became my, pretty much my surrogate dad and he's, he was the one who, who helped raise me and it was a, a father figure for me. Plus I had several uncles and friends and teachers. Uh, so I was never short of of uh, a father figure to look in look for but yes it was definitely that side of it the self-sufficiency my uncles that were on the farm I used to ride 34 k's when I was in my teens um, to out to my uncle's dairy farm uh, for my holidays I'd spend two weeks of my school holidays dairy farming um, because I just loved it out there um, where other kids were doing you know playing space invaders at the uh, at the arcade, um, I'd be happy to, 
to be doing the farming work. So, yeah, I was, I saved my grandfather and my uncles. There's so many um, influences. And then at a later stage, of course, it was the need to survive with my family and my children and make that work and use the land that we bought. I mean, we didn't just buy out here out of the city for peace and quiet, although it is quieter than being in, in the, the middle of the city. Um, we bought out here because we wanted to use this land and we are using just about every bit of it. And I think that's that's good. Yeah, definitely. And I wonder whether you'd uh, be someone who would have a good insight as well. So for the people that want to get into maybe blogging about their garden or, or creating YouTube channels, was there, when you sat down to do that, when your wife sort of encouraged you to do that, um, was there anything you looked up then? Did you stumble across anyone that helped you with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I did. Or did you just do it? I just did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alan, I just did it. Um, I didn't really look, and I, maybe that's a good thing, um, because I think we should, you should just be yourself and and be your unique self. Don't copy anyone else, and do what's unique for you. Do some unique recipes. Do some unique growing techniques. Make your own road, and those are the things. Those um, same but different is what makes. Uh, a person stand out online. There's millions of, or well, thousands of gardening channels, thousands of gardening blogs. But if you can make your own way uh, and do something a little different and sometimes even better or different ideas, that's what will get you noticed and that's what will get a better following. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And when you're walking around the garden um, and around the, the orchard, would you call it an orchard? Yeah, yeah, call it an orchard. Yeah. When you're walking around there, um, do you have a particular tool that you always take with you? Something you you always have to hand? Um, no, I don't. No, I, I'll I'll typically go for a walk, and I do this very often. Hmm. I just like going for a walk around the garden, just for the heck of it, because um, it, it chills me out, and uh, I, I just really enjoy it, even if I'm not going to work. But I will typically walk around the orchard. And uh, so I won't take secateurs or anything with me. And I'll end up having to trottle back to the shed and get the secateurs <laughs> or the rake to rake up the mulch. Or... So I really waste a lot of time in that respect. <laughs> That's not a bad way to waste time, though, is it? No. no. <laughs> not at all. Um, and lastly, um, a question we always ask people, and funnily enough, when we first start doing the podcast, I was always a little bit nervous about this question, but then quickly realised that it happens to all of us. Um, with regards to failures or something that didn't go quite right, have you got any notable failures that you've had? Um, well, my, my garlic just recently. Of course, yeah. Uh, that's, that was, look, I, I can be honest with you, I was really hoping for a good garlic harvest because if you type into youtube self-sufficient me mm. the next um word that automatically gets created from the search engine is garlic so people are looking for self-sufficient me garlic because they know I look, maybe they they're after garlic growing but also perhaps because garlic is a little difficult to grow in the subtropics they might be thinking how does he do it mm. so mm. i was really hoping i could pour it on and grow a good crop of of, of standard um, Glen large garlic 
uh, which is like a purple large, um, not too large, but a standard variety of garlic, which was a good clove. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately, it perished on me, and I'm going to have to change tack and, uh, and have another go next year and hopefully um, bring that video out and, and get some more gardening tips. But I can, I can tell people what not to do, and that is definitely don't neglect your garlic or underwater it and give it a good uh, spray with a, a bio uh, fungicide to stop that rust from hitting those leaves because in the subtropics it just gets away from you really quick and once it gets hold of that garlic it's all over yeah definitely and i think actually videos that tell you not what to do uh, can be just as valuable as videos that tell you what to do oh yeah that's a good point yeah. Uh, so, yeah well yeah perhaps i'll do a video on how my garlic failed due to rust this season hmm. yeah that's a good idea yeah definitely so people out there looking to to learn more about you uh, more about your blog and and youtube channel where where can they go yeah go to uh self well youtube self-sufficient me and uh they'll get hold or just type it in the search engine and my channel should come up um and my blog is the same is selfsufficientme.com uh, i do have a forum that i haven't been very active on at the moment but i i definitely will be getting back into it but it's the forum is called self-sufficient culture so it's the culture of self-sufficiency a bit of a play on permaculture but that's a forum where people can can chat and 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 you know uh, share opinions and that on there and that's different to my main website which is self-sufficient me the blog where um, yeah, I write typically about gardening, but also um, other other things as well. Um, sometimes opinion, uh, and uh, yeah, it's quite different. The blog holds all my videos and all that, but it also holds um, a different opinion side. Whereas my YouTube channel is mainly focused on all those aspects of self sufficiency, growing uh, food and and keeping chickens and poultry and uh, fruit trees and those type of things yeah excellent so we make sure we put um, all of those links uh, in the show notes so people can can check that out and it's been really really good talking to you really enjoyed it it's been a pleasure alan so much um enjoyed uh, talking to you as well and i really uh thank you for inviting me on your show um this is a lovely little podcast and I was wrapped that you uh, would think of me and invite me on. Yeah, no problem at all. It, uh, it really was a pleasure to have you on. And we, we knew as soon as we started looking into what you do, you'd be perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And all the best too with your nursery. Thank you very and much. And also the podcast and your YouTube channel. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Alan. Bye. See you, mate. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.